Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. This is a KPQC Learning Forum, and it's a monthly opportunity that we provide um, for connect our peer-to-peer -peer learning and exchange of ideas. My name is Leanne Mullen. I'm from Wichita State University's Community Engagement Institute, and I am also joined by Danielle Ost um, from CEI as well, um, and as well Tara Stroda, our QI coordinator. Um, I just want to cover a few quick things before we get started. Um, please know that we will be recording this today um, and will be this will be made public and shared so that everyone has the opportunity if they're not able to be here today. Um, I will be dropping a handout into the chat shortly um, with important dates, registration, some of the things that we're going to cover today. So you do not have to worry about um, jotting those down. We will provide those as well as follow up with this with an email with all of those um, important dates as well. Um, all the discussion that will be take place today will be you will use your chat box. Um, if you have questions about that free um, feature, um, please let me know. Um, you can send me a message directly, me or Danielle, if you have technical issues, um, but we do ask that we um, only use chat when it is prompted by your speaker. Um, any other chat, um, we ask you to save until after we're done and we ask for questions. Um, I think that is all we want to um, also be sure that um, if anybody has any questions moving forward, I. I think we will change the chat just directly to Danielle and I, and then when our speaker has asked you for discussion, we ask you to put it in there as well. Um, I believe that's all. And with that, I am gonna turn it over to Tara Stroda. Thank you. Hi, you guys. Uh, happy Tuesday. Uh, there's lots happening in our state today, including a governor's conference. And so uh, I'm, I'm glad that we're recording it. Certainly the slide deck's available to you all after the uh, session is over today. Uh, any specific questions or concerns uh, I would love to address. But um, today is a wonderful conversation um, starter. We're going to start with enrollment. We're going to walk through postpartum care teams um, and finish the day with some um, collaboration and conversation. You guys have heard me talk for like 19,000 hours now. So I'm really I'm excited to hear from you all today. Just recognizing some names um, that uh, I'm, I'm thrilled to hear from. Uh, again, today, these are our two big goals. Uh, they might seem small, but they're not. Um, and uh, again, um, as uh, Leanne mentioned, please jump out and, and reach out directly to them with questions because we're going to try to roll through the content so we've got plenty of time at the end. I always like to uh, reiterate um, why it is we choose learning forum topics and why the topics relate back to improving maternal um, health. Remember, we started out with NAS, we went into maternal morbidity, mortality, red flags, and now we're focused on fourth trimester initiative. I call it success. I call it the eight keys to success because I believe that Kansas will be successful. And so these learning forums are a chance for us to huddle, to chat, to collaborate, and to learn um, about some, some piece of these eight keys to uh, success with fourth trimester work. Again, we're talking about breast practice models. We're talking about referrals and screenings. We're talking about a care team. That's, of course, our primary focus for learning today. Uh, we're talking today, again, about the personalized care plan and how all that relates to rescreening and referral in the postpartum care team. And we always want to remember that one of the biggest issues in Kansas that was identified is racial disparities and, and the topic of health equity. Um, every piece of the puzzle goes back to the fact that there are gaps there are gaps in best practice models there are gaps in access and care but there are larger gaps within those um, um, of certain racial backgrounds and certainly those who do not have access um, uh, health literacy etc cetera, etc cetera. i can think of 20 terms on the top of my head but bottom line is you have to drill all the way down or we're not going to make a difference uh, the fireworks slide is just to make everybody kind of chuckle for a second. Um, enrollment is open. So what the heck is enrollment? Um, and you're not going to go to college. Uh, you guys have all done that, I think, most of you, if not all of you. But what we're going to do is enroll in the fourth trimester initiative. 
Um, enrollment packets were sent out to all of the contacts that I had on um, the birth facilities. So in other words, hospitals that have birth facilities within them. Um, so the primary contact for that hospital was, was given an enrollment packet. That included the fourth trimester initiative fact sheets, as well as the actual enrollment packet, which was several pages long. I also sent it out to you all or sent it to you all last week, many of you, who are on the learning forum contact list because I wanted you to see it, um, look at it, um, highlight it, ask questions today. Um, but that packet is literally how you enroll in the initiative. Um, next steps are that we want all the birth facilities. My goal is 100% of birth facilities um, to enroll in our initiative. And from there, we take it to a specific uh, QI project processes. Um, that may sound intimidating to you, but as we talk through this, this afternoon, um, it should be less intimidating. I want you to think about enrollment as involvement in the initiative. The QI project is the, is the baseline and the most important piece about outcomes uh, change, but really enrollment just allows you and encourages you and your birth facility, your outpatient clinic, your public health um, agency to be involved in the change. So keep that in mind when you're when you're wondering about enrollment. We will. So we're starting with birth facilities. I've reached out to many birth centers in Kansas, um, freestanding birth centers specifically, and then we'll go to the to the Kansas Perinatal uh, Community Collaboratives, um, which will be uh, the outpatient um, connection that we've talked about for several months. Um, common questions. Uh, again, we'll get to those here in a minute. And I really wanted to just stop already, actually, and ask if there were any um, broad questions or even specific questions about the enrollment. But so excited, so excited that we're going uh, forward in this process this month. Before I open it up, I wanted to say a huge congratulations to the number one first enrolled facility, Hiawatha Community Hospital. Uh, no, they did not take this picture directly for me, but I just found it awesome. Uh, I like to find great Google images and this popped up right away. Very impressed with how put together the staff looks. I'm sure that our staff at our hospital looks amazing every day, but we don't quite look like that on every shift, <laughs> depending on how many babies you deliver. So great job, Hiawatha. They are enrolled. I've got a couple others that are in my inbox that I'm thrilled to reach out to. Just happened yesterday um, and more and more and more coming in. So here are, are some screenshots of the enrollment packet. Um, I wanted to put that up as I answer questions. Perhaps that would be um, easy for me to list it, but let me stop. Um, if you and I, if you'll open up the chat, Leanne and Danielle, if you guys would do that for me, kind of help me make sure I'm seeing everybody. And then uh, everybody, uh, questions pop on, and let's see what we can do together here. Yes, the chat is open, and you may have to um, touch your mouse on your screen um, for it to show up on the bottom of your screen, and you can just click chat, and it pops up. Um, and you can type your questions into the chat. And I am not seeing any come in right now, Tara. No, that's good. I just, I'm gonna say, uh, as, you, as I have this screen pulled up regarding um, the enrollment packet, you know, again, the bit, a lot of questions uh, have been surrounding question 1A and the facility data versus county data and how do you get those numbers um, specific for maternal race and ethnicity from your, from your birth facility. If that's a hiccup for you or there's another piece of this that's a hiccup for you, please reach out to me and let me know what questions you have or um, concerns you have regarding those pieces of the enrollment packet. I don't want those things to delay you and I want to know that you're that you're ready to go. Certainly happy to help you with those pieces as well. Well, I'm going to take that to me that you all are going to enroll and then I'm going to see it in my inbox. Um, the due date is coming up in about, what, two and a half weeks. Um, again, please, uh, we'll, we'll open it up at the end of the session for conversation about enrollment. Um, but jot notes to yourself as we're talking um, today and, and let's go back to that because I don't want it to be an intimidating process for anyone. 
Uh, okay, also uh, food for thought and a strong word of encouragement. Um, we are really trying to align all maternal health entities, uh, birth facilities, birth centers, PCCs, uh, MCH sites, our fourth trimester committee. So all the folks that are making the big decisions at the state level regarding this initiative, everyone is strongly encouraged to attend uh, this virtual lunch and learn on April 15th. We will not have an April learning forum because we're encouraging everybody to attend this very important um, moment in our state. In honor of Black Maternal Health Week, um, this virtual lunch and learn will occur uh, over the noon hour, again, on April 15th, you can see in front of you that there's not registration required. Uh, the Zoom link is right in front of you. Leanne has that in our handout that you all will get as well. And so it's very simple, so simple that I can't imagine why you wouldn't attend. Um, but you're going to hear that, um, that day from many leaders in the state um, about the wonderful things that are happening surrounding um, our crisis uh, of Black maternal health in Kansas and the ideas behind um, how to improve maternal health outcomes. Um, stakeholders um, uh, certainly, um, um, again, state leaders and women um, who are, are there to speak on, on behalf of the Black Maternal Health Initiative, we're excited to, to be a part of that day and encourage all of you and your staff to, to engage in that moment. Something else that I want to bring to your attention, many of you received a um, Kansas Connecting Communities packet that was addressed to you or perhaps to your unit manager this last month. Um, Remember, the KCC group is who presented a phenomenal uh, learning forum for us last month regarding the maternal health, uh, maternal mental health toolkit, uh, using uh, the resources, the screening, the referral to get women um, identified and referred and treated in Kansas from a, for various maternal mental health concerns. That packet has all of that in a very succinct um, packet that again many of you should have received if your birth facility or if your agency did not receive a packet and wishes to um, you are welcome to email me and I'll pass that along to the KCC group but I, I know that sometimes that those types of packets arrive and it kind of disappears across the hospital and gets passed around because nobody knows what to do with it if you are an OB champion for your birth facility and many of you are most of you are open that sucker up um, take a look at it and figure out already how you can begin to use those resources um, in your facility and in your community. Also, um, good news and bad news. Uh, good news is our survey results are in. Um, of course, you all know on the left-hand side, what's mentioned is that Kansas Maternal Mortality Review Report. That's the MMR, KMMRC we talk about. Remember, that's the group that evaluates um, death certificates and um, chart evaluation and does all that really, really integral work to find out why women are, are um, dying in Kansas. And that report is a phenomenal summary of, of the data and the work done so far. The bad news is um, that we're finding out what we, what we unfortunately believe to be true. And follow-up survey on the KMMRC survey highlights that you see those two graphs on the right side speak to that same conversation. Um, specific, uh, you'll see on that middle graphic, uh, we are doing a phenomenal job, um, better maybe than we knew, about sexual and domestic violence screening, tobacco screening, substance abuse screening, mental health screening, et cetera. We're not doing a good job on social determinants and reproductive health. Um, that's a surprise to me, uh, but unfortunately, it was already red flagged from PRAM's data. You remember us talking about that? Yeah, you may remember as part of the Kansas Mortality Review report that the conversation of screening and referral, you can't just screen without a referral, that's our goal, um, is certainly a problem. And why some women are screened at high levels but then not referred, which leads to a, potentially a negative outcome on this. Uh, and so both of these reports kind of highlight, again, what we unfortunately um, believe to be true. And, and that's that even if we're screening high levels, or missing screening, women are not being referred or attending those refer, referral visits, the postpartum visit follow-up, all those important key touches, they're not, they're not able to get to them or we're not getting the numbers that we hoped. 
um, the, that graphic, the graphic on the right-hand side, that survey highlights, um, we can send that out. Uh, it is available on multiple websites as well. As well. And Leanne and Danielle, if you remind me, perhaps we should send that out as a follow-up in this next few weeks, because I think that our birth facilities want to see uh, their responses. Many of you contributed to that to that survey, and we appreciate that. Uh, please don't hear us say that because you respond to a survey that we're tagging anybody um, and shaking our finger. This is not that kind of a, of a party. This is the kind of a party that we all sit together and decide what we're going to do next, because what we're doing is not working. And one of the things that you may see on that right-sided, very right-side graphic is that um, the handout, the pamphlet, the, the, the phone number uh, moment to a patient isn't working. Um, what, what, is, what, is, what is deemed a referral off of a screen positive patient um, and encouraging the patient to take care of her or herself is probably one of our biggest problems in the state. And so that's one of the conversations surrounding the postpartum care team we'll have in just a minute. Let me stop. Are there any questions about that, that conversation uh, at all today? You guys are quiet. I'm gonna get you riled up. Get your, get your Mountain Dew and let's go. Um, next piece uh, on the to-do list today, again, just reminding ourselves, darn it, we were right. Um, we've got some gaps in care, we've got some gaps in referral, and what in the world are we going to do about it? Well, guys, we already decided we're doing this together and we're not going to allow women to die or to be hurt on our watch. We decided that months ago. And so it's time to move forward. We, we get more data all the time, which is helpful to hone in on the answer and the fix. But we have already decided we're going to get it fixed. Now it's time to do it. So why is the postpartum care team um, a, a, such an important part of our conversation? You see it in your enrollment packets. Um, we will expect um, uh, that to be part of our QI process where your team is created based on your fundamental needs at your birth facility. But as we start down this conversation in the postpartum care team, I would beg you to remember that the, the member number one is the mom. Member number one isn't the OB provider. Um, it's not the support person. It's not the lactation consultant. It's not the insurance company. Member number one of the postpartum care team must be the mom. And I would ask you to remember again, over and over again, that the women in front of you in this picture, the women in front of you in your facility, on the phone at two o'clock in the morning, in your lactation office, those are the women who are behind the numbers. We don't wanna add one more. So as we talk through this, remember she's number one. There is no I in team. Um, and that's going to be reiterated over and over again. Uh, Nurses, uh, midwives, doctors, um, researchers, you all already know this, um, but you cannot fix a patient problem single-handedly. I think that we go through school um, and we're, we're taught about care plans and we're talk about, we talk about assessments and we talk about treatments and it's all about what I do to treat the patient. When in fact, once you get out into the real world, you realize that there's not enough time in the day, there's not enough of brain activity in one person, there's not enough heart with just one entity to be able to, to fully treat somebody. And so when we talk about uh, a team approach, I love it. The postpartum care team is truly a team approach and we have to work together because it's more than just one person's role. We talked about this uh, idea of a postpartum care team and who is included in a postpartum care team before. I wanted to remind you, and we're going to call it the new model. Um, I was we talked to patients about what this is, um, and so it doesn't seem like an intimidating thing if, if if we were to say to a patient that there's a postpartum care team involved. I, I would call it the new model, right? And so this new model of care involves a team approach to caring for women and their babies and their families and their needs and their wants. But the folks in, uh, mentioned here in front of you, the nurses, certainly the bedside, the triage nurse on the phone, the nurse at the outpatient clinic, the nurse uh, embedded in the MCH agency, all of those nurses are part of the care team. The infant health provider, if that's a nurse practitioner, if that's a PA, if that's a, a pediatrician, MD, 
those folks are part of your postpartum care team. There are two people at least involved, a mom and a baby. Unless we're talking about a stillbirth, that infant health provider is a valuable asset to our team. Specialty providers, this could be anybody from internal, internal medicine uh, for a patient, a mom with a significant um, uh, medical complication. Um, this could also be, you know, dig deep into um, anything in medicine that would require a specialty provider um, to be involved and to be, and whose expertise we need beyond the primary OB, which is listed at the top right. Um, the lactation, we mentioned lactation support and the great news in Kansas, thanks to the KBC, is that we've got more and more and more folks trained at the bedside, on the phone, um, virtually to help women in this extremely important uh, immediate postpartum period all the way through the first year with lactation. Home visitors, we can't speak to their, to their success rates high enough, phenomenal outcomes, improvement when we have home visitors involved, as well as the OB navigators, which again, I would say to you, if you don't know an OB navigator, you do. Sometimes they're your home visitors, sometimes they're lactation, sometimes it's especially, you know, anybody can be a navigator, but I will tell you that many of the MCH public health um, um, staff are wonderful OB navigators that should be connected to every birth facility. Um, and, and uh, encourage that conversation as we move forward. And then support persons. You see us as we circle back around to that left side, you know, who is at her, her bedside, literally and figuratively? Who is there at home to help jump in um, for the good and the bad days? Um, who are the people that she, she looks to for questions and answers about uh, parenthood? And, and how can we make sure that they're an integral part of this postpartum care team so we are a team? So how does this connect to an improved maternal outcome postpartum, right? How are you sure, Tara? I've been asked that question. Tara, how do you know that a postpartum care team is really a benefit to uh, maternal outcomes? Well, I look, to my, I look to my guides. I look to what works in my practice. I look to what I hear other success stories um, include in our state and in our nation. And everything goes back to the fact that a postpartum care team is vitally important um, in this process. ACOG and their committee opinion that you've heard us talk over and over about, committee opinion 736, talks specifically about the postpartum care team. That's the left-handed uh, blue arrow that you see there. Um, and, and the postpartum care team as a piece of the postpartum care plan. So as the medical folks and the, the folks that are listed there on the care team create a plan, everybody is focused in on that postpartum care plan and constantly reviewing and updating and adding and taking away and working through all of those key components to make sure she's getting a better outcome. And on the right-hand side, ACOG, of course, talks about that um, this all leads to decreased morbidity, which we can't reiterate enough, as well as pregnancy-related maternal death. We know that, for example, and it mentions it there, blood pressure evaluation and how the postpartum care team is an integral uh, circle um, where a woman will enter that conversation of what happens after delivery with her blood pressure. How soon is it reevaluated after discharge? What was she sent home on in terms of medication? What insurance coverage does she have so she makes sure she gets the needed treatment, including medication and follow-up? Does she have transportation to a follow-up visit to her medical provider? Does she need referral to a specialty provider like internal, internal medicine docs, et cetera? So again, it reiterates that conversation of uh, dig deep, offer them more, and make sure that everybody is talking. This is just my little friendly reminder to everybody that um, when we talk about postpartum care and optimizing postpartum care, as the committee opinion again mentions here, remember that this conversation of postpartum care actually starts in the antepartum or pregnancy setting. You, we, providers, nurses, um, who are providers too, let me say that a different way, the primary will be provider, the nurses, um, the uh, childbirth educators, the WIC folks, everybody who talks to women who are pregnant about the, anything that would lead to a postpartum care plan adjustment needs to be remembering that, that that really feeds to, there shouldn't be two discrete, distinct 
moment. You don't have a pregnancy and then we wash our hands and start a whole other process postpartum. That's not how that goes. The continuum of pregnancy care, delivery care, postpartum care, outpatient follow-up postpartum care is a continuum and we must constantly use anticipatory anticipatory guidance to make women um, uh, easy uh, to feed through that system. We shouldn't ask them to be in charge of that continuum. Again, just reminding you that this is research-based, that, that we're, we're not just grappling at random ideas um, to come up with our, our action plan here, that the postpartum care plan and the postpartum uh, care team are very specific entities outlined by ACOG. Again, this is from the committee opinion. And I, I wanted to show you the two arrows specific to uh, these conversations and these terms. So this is the a component, this is a chart about the components of the postpartum care plan. These are standardized. You're going to see them mentioned, uh, birth facilities as we talk about um, uh, creating a process improvement. What are, the, what are the standardized pieces of every postpartum patient? Um, and what does that look like in your facility? While there are lots of options for who is involved and, and uh, who is on your team, the, this outline and this graph describe what do we do with that information? The postpartum care plan should include on the care team side, the name, phone number, contact for every member of that care team for that patient. Keep that in mind as you're formulating plans moving forward. And postpartum visits, again, as we talk about the care team, how many different postpartum visits does she have? Some of our patients have many of them. Between WIC, uh, OB primary provider, infant care, uh, uh, et cetera, et cetera, home visiting, all of those visits um, should be, again, solidified within that care team. And it should be easy for the patient and for any of us involved to see where she's going next, who's seeing her, and how we feed in to adjust or encourage that process. Uh, these are just the, the delve down of that graphic I produced earlier that talked about who's on the care team. Who, who is an official care team member? Well, we can tell you who should be there based on research and guidance from ACOG and other entities that say, hey, for best practice model, this is the list, which you see in front of you in table two. This is the list of folks that we believe in most cases should be involved in a patient's um, postpartum care team. Not all patients are going to need all members of the care team. Some patients are gonna mean multiple people within an, a team member definition um, in order to have a best practice outcome, a base, best case scenario. But I would also say to you, Junction City um, is not the same as Abilene, which is not the same as Kansas City, which is not the same as anywhere, Hiawatha. So you all get to decide who's on your care team. And at the bottom where that arrow states, please keep this in mind as you're formulating um, your care team plans. Members of the care team may vary depending on the needs of the mother and infant diet and locally available resources. So not to say that we can't all do better at finding locally available resources, and we should be encouraging in this initiative connections outside even of your community if that's a best practice idea for the patient. I'm picturing a patient who's in a small community who needs higher level care. Of course, that's not locally available, but we can connect her to that, that agency or entity and back in. But your care team should be focused on the mom and infant side, as well as what you have available and who you can connect her with. And you all get to make those decisions. Again, I'm just going to keep showing you this graphic because I want you to be thinking, picture you know, multiple moms who you've cared for in the last few months. Who are the people that you didn't call it a postpartum care team, but who are the people that were involved in her care? If you're an outpatient clinic, if you're a public health agency, you saw a mom, perhaps in the WIC office, perhaps for an immunization clinic, perhaps anywhere um, where, you, where you helped this mom and this infant dyad, who was involved in her care? That's the postpartum care team. There are probably many more that aren't listed here, but these are the basics that I want you to make sure you know and begin to connect dots with. So sizing up your care team. Um, these again, with for our QI project, we're trying to assess in the next, for those of you enrolled, and again, 
that should be everyone, I hope. Excited to work with each one of you individually. But we're trying to assess the baseline. What do you have currently at your facility um, that, that creates your postpartum care team? I don't expect anybody to officially have called it that already, but we're trying to get same language, same goal, same processes, right? So if we begin to call it our postpartum care team, then we can have better conversation uh, about process improvement. But to assess the baseline of what you have right now, if you look at this, and if I had, you know, a whiteboard in front of you with a big old marker, um, I would start to check off lists. Okay, do you have, you have a patient, by definition, you probably have a patient if you have a postpartum care team. But I would say even within that patient conversation, is she a live birth? Is she a stillbirth mom? Is she a transfer to your ter tertiary care center? Or did she transfer back to your community after delivering at a tertiary care center, right? So who's the patient and what are her needs? Is there a primary maternal care provider, primary OB provider for short? Sometimes that becomes then a primary care provider up to the first year postpartum. But if we think about just the birth facility question, who's the primary maternal care provider? The birth, birth facility nursing staff, all of those of you who are working your tails off uh, this month, um, I know that our birth facility nursing staff have been, um, feels like a long year. Uh, they're working their tails off and working and working and working and taking care of these moms and, you know, and pulling resources from places we never knew because of COVID uh, shortages and other things. So how many staff are involved in a patient's care and is the report off and the, the circle of care, even within your birth facility, fine-tuned? And certainly those nurses are vitally important in finding out what the patient needs next. The infant provider, again, our pediatric providers that are um, that are our colleagues, our, our sister and brother in arms, those folks that we know are caring for um, now the infant side and can reiterate and have conversation back and forth with us. And then lactation support, of course, vitally important for our breastfeeding dyads. Care coordination, top right, inpatient is what we're focused on today, but the outpatient side, is that a social worker at your facility? Is it a maternal navigator? Um, is it a nurse who serves as the care coordinator? Um, is it the unit manager? Who is your care coordinator? I don't need to define that for you, but who is that person um, in your team? Home visitors, again, uh, in a lot of places or more places um, across the state, um, more and more these days, we see home visitors that will do a postpartum discharge visit or connection, kind of a warm handoff from postpartum discharge appointment is made for the home visitor to then connect to the patient in the home setting, which is an awesome option. And again, we want her to be in your, in your postpartum care team list. And then again, we talked about the specialty providers. Um, is it behavioral health that she needs to see? Is it internal medicine? Is it back to maternal fetal medicine? Who are those folks? Um, that, uh, that, that are uh, risk identified needs uh, for this mom in your facility. So I'm gonna stop talking for a second and I would love some folks to pop onto their mics. Um, I, I'm interested to know how many of you uh, have what you would consider an established postpartum care team. Um, I'm gonna go back here to this list. And again, you don't have to have all members of these folks. There isn't like a written contract at this point about a care team. Um, but I would suspect that many of you already have these things, these people in place um, and just don't call it an official care team. So pop on here. Somebody tell me your good news story about what you have at your facility. Introduce yourself, tell us what facility you're from and, and talk us through what you've got. I'm going to pick on someone. That's what's going to happen. Tara, we do have a couple questions in the chat. Oh. I don't know if you want to pull those up or if you want me to just read them to you here. Read them to me. Okay. I can't see them. That's my fault. And this is from Dr. Morgan. Um, I wonder if the primary maternal care and PCP staff are more important than the physician midwife. How can we change terms to reflect primary maternal care providers, PCP teams? Hmm. 
gosh, Dr. Morgan, as usual, you are hot on the trail of good question. I think that that, again, it depends on uh, the facility. And I think it depends on what the person is comfortable calling themselves. Dr. Morgan, are you on and you want to follow that up? Yeah, I'm on. I just, when I was looking at that, it just looked um, provider-centric and didn't reflect the function of most organizations. So that's why I was trying to think about it from the role, from the consumer patient perspective, rather than my office having what we recommended care team, PP care team, to letting the client decide what the care team actually is, or the components. Yeah, and Dr. Morgan, I think that the, the piece of this that is uh, forever in my mind is that there are, it's almost like two separate um, care plans, right? It's, or, or the, the combination of the two is a better story. But who the patient identifies as her primary, I think is what you're digging deep into versus what we define as her primary OB provider or maternal care provider. Um, and I, the patient is absolutely the captain of the ship. No question about that. Because if we tell her who she has to see, we can encourage her to, we tell her why, hopefully there's a, a bilateral trust conversation happening, but I certainly hear what you're saying. What would be your recommendation to change to, to make that fit better in Kansas? I was, if I had a, a term that I liked, I would have written it in there, and I because I hadn't figured out a concise way to say it yet. It was relying on your brain. Oh, well, that's not a good idea. Um, I have no doubt that within six hours, I'm going to get an email from you that has that figured out. Leanne, what's your next question? Next question is from Mariah. How can non-medical providers participate in this if they are not associated with a medical facility? For example, CHW, HV, private practice, IBCLC, or a community doula. Yeah. So Mariah, hi. I'm so glad you're on. I didn't see your name pop up, but I haven't looked back through. You're asking the perfect question. So what we're starting with right now is the birth facility, the immediate postpartum moment, which will then feed into all those entities that you just described. I would also say to you that many of those entities are involved in the pregnancy care uh, or consultation or um, education of a patient prior to delivery. And then we will feed back in uh, once we get the, the birth facilities up and rolling, there is no doubt that we cannot, again, we cannot separate birth and immediate postpartum from the remainder of her postpartum event, her journey, we'll call it. And to add those entities back in as part of the loop, Mariah, that's exactly the goal. Birth facilities to the quote outpatient setting. Um, doula care certainly is on the conversation list, community health workers, visiting nurses, WIC, um, outpatient clinics, I would just even say emergency rooms, other primary care providers that may be seeing the patient, uh, urgent cares, um, and asking the question, have you been pregnant in the last year? Are you currently pregnant? You know, that, that connection of, oh, hey, I've got a woman who's just delivered a baby in front of me. What can I do to help? Follow up, Mariah, on that question? Well, I, I, was, I kind of, I guess, a follow-up to that. So, I mean, all of that sounds amazing in practice, but in reality, the connection isn't there. Um, as a part of this, this project, are we going, I know we're doing QI to assess what's happening. Are we going to develop a framework to ensure that if a patient states, I have a community health worker I'm working with, or I have support at home, here's, here's who they are, or here's who's supporting me outside of your facility and outside of who's connected to your facility, are they going to be contacted? Because right now, all of these things exist. But the problem is there's no framework for connection. There's no framework for sharing information. And there's no framework for even allowing, you know, providing this, the patient's been discharged to a, you know, community health worker who may be working with them or a home visitor who may be working with them. They don't know until the patient calls and says, I delivered. And oh, by yeah. the way, I'm at home for me. Yeah. So what are we doing to to close that loop or that, it's not even a loop, it's a, it's a cavern. How are we going to close that cavern? Yeah, and I guess I, I maybe I have a more positive uh, thought about it because I'm seeing it actively work in, in larger 
communities as well as smaller ones with a connected dot. So uh, if there's a navigator, and maybe it's the community health worker that's the navigator, um, maybe it's the outpatient clinic that has a navigator that makes sure that all those folks uh, are connected back. But, but what you're describing is exactly right. It, it's the lack of connectivity of all the folks that are involved in her care. And you asked, I think, the framework um, or how we're going to do that. I think that's up to each community. If I tell everybody exactly who has to be in charge, that isn't going to work. But instead, to work with each community to figure out how is your feedback loop going to happen? Perhaps it's through IRIS, a system that's already set up in many communities, which is a formal referral and check and balance system to make sure that, 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 that all the folks are involved in and know. Perhaps it's through um, an OB navigator that's out of the birth facility. Perhaps it's not. But I don't, you're absolutely right. That feedback loop is gapped and um, doesn't include all the people. I would say to you too, it doesn't include all the people that she may be looking to for assistance and help, but these are the primary people that you see listed in front of you that we want to make sure are minimally involved, meaning more than this is great, but are these folks at least involved in her care? And, and my concern is that in many communities, they're not. Okay. Next question. Um, this is from Jill White, um, and it is not necessarily a question. Um, she had mentioned that Hutchison Regional um, really does have all of this, but it often feels disjointed and could definitely work more fluidly. So I don't know if you have anything to add to that. Uh, Jill White, I think I just saw you on the governor's conference learning on the uh, presentation. Jill, can you pop on there and tell me what you're thinking? Because I, I hear you, and that's one of our goals, isn't it? Jill on. It's okay if she's not. I, I would just say, Jill, I hear you. And I think that the disjointed, again, what Mariah said, the disjointed moment of um, something happens in the hospital setting or even at the, at the home birth that doesn't get connected to the outpatient setting. That's exactly where we see the gap. The other gap is that the patient doesn't attend postpartum visits because she doesn't know how or why she needs to go, you know, um, and, and then the communication between the two of them is meeting inpatient outpatient is really destroyed. So yes, huge problem. Leanne, was that, did we tackle them all? Right. Um, I have one more. I am scrolling down and I do so Jill on the line. We're just not hearing you. So I don't know if you're still muted, if you have anything to add, Jill. Um, and Brenda did also add um, that the KBC has examples of hospital referral forms to local health departments and some home visiting programs with the goal of having a breastfeeding assessment within the first two days. If you're needing an example of these, um, Brenda has included her contact information um, into the chat as well. Um, and Jill did just comment and to hear that her computer audio just isn't working. So thanks oh. for letting us know, Jill. <laughs> Jill, Jill, next time we'll get you. I'm really glad, glad to, to hear from you. And Brenda Bandy is the powerhouse. Uh, everybody, if you don't know Brenda Bandy, I'm shocked. Uh, Brenda Bandy <laughs> is behind the KBC and uh, Brenda, the, the toolkit idea and the rollout of breastfeeding breast pack practice in Kansas is specific to the KBC. Know that that is on our, um, uh, we'll call it our algorithm. You know, I like, I speak in algorithms and certainly that conversation and process and referral mechanism um, is already on that list, my friend. Anything else, Leanne, before I jump forward? Nope, that is all. Okay, so... Uh, again, and we just talked about this, actually, I probably should have just step, step forward a few. Collective impact model is just a fancy way of saying we're all connected. Um, and, and again, I call it the circle of care because to me, a patient never should never leave the circle of care um, because of us. We should circle up. We should, we should fill gaps. And sometimes we forget of all the folks that are involved, kind of like Mariah just mentioned, kind of like others have talked about. We're not taught, we didn't mention insurance companies, but again, I would say to you, the lack of insurance or being unclear about your insurance coverage is a very big problem, um, not just in Kansas, but nationwide. And it often impacts 
something as, uh, as profound as family planning conversation, even breastfeeding follow-up, is it covered, is it not? Am I gonna have to pay out of pocket for that? But also in terms of just postpartum follow-up and uh, can care coverage is an example of that. You'll see on the right-hand side, my conversation about school districts. Um, in many districts in Kansas, um, home visiting connects to parents as teachers, which red flags or screens or encourages and supports the family dyad. So the, the child may be referred to, let's go back to infants, toddlers, actually. Infants, toddlers, which may feed into parents as teachers, and they don't officially call it screening a mom, but they're screening a mom. And, and how does that PAT worker feed that mom back into care or get her the necessary referral mechanism so that she can have um, a better outcome? Um, I know everybody is talking to moms. I know that they know that when a mom needs help, they feel so disabled to call it because they don't know where to go with her or how to help her. And I, as I, I'm just gonna say over and over again, the postpartum care team is exactly that goal. We could call it the bat phone and everybody should know where the bat phone goes next. And certainly those folks that you see listed on the outpatient side on the right, Definitely those on the left-hand side, on the inpatient side, should learn your bat phone people so you can get every mom help that she needs. This is just a graphic I'm using across the state as we talk about that circle. Immediate postpartum, you'll see it loop around to, okay, what does she need next? Is a medical referral to primary care or to internal med? Is it navigation services to get her in and out and around and, and educated? Beyond that, is it breastfeeding, um, as we just talked about referral, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then where do those appointments, those official kind of primary OB appointments occur? They're not the only appointments, nor are they the, always the most important, but it's the touch base. It feels like when I see a patient after she's delivered, that when I see her back, um, which right now, by the way, in our office, we do a two-week follow-up and a six-week follow-up, and then a 12-week follow-up. Sometimes, oftentimes, I see patients within 48 to 72 hours post-discharge, not just for blood pressure check, but for a breastfeeding appointment. And so we, we again, it's based on the mom plan, but those, those touches with your OB provider are, are dual role. What does she need from me, and what do I need to make sure that she's okay to get her fed through that next loop? going around to the comprehensive well woman exam beyond 12 weeks. And then we talk about primary care. Where does she go next? And well child visits are included in that maternal screening moment. I want to walk through um, a case study or two. It's almost 1250. The time with you guys goes so fast and I want to hear from you all. So let's just do, let's just do one walkthrough really quickly here. Um, patient scenario um, for this first one is speaking of lactation, uh, a breastfeeding first time mama. Uh, we can all picture this woman. I, I know I didn't look this good one day postpartum, nor do many of our patients, but just take it for what it's worth, which is a Google image that I really liked. Um, she's going home today um, and she's got uh, a significant issue with a sleepy baby and a poor latch. So on day of discharge, her primary OB provider evaluates her medical needs, um, her uh, mental health needs, all the things, including her breastfeeding needs, and identifies that breastfeeding follow-up is warranted. Makes rounds, makes a plan, elicits the postpartum care team in that. I would like for um, at least one, if not two of you who are in the birth setting, a birth facility setting, to tell me at the moment of discharge, once, once the, the discharge, let's say, orders have come through, what does that look like in your facility to get her outpatient help? Somebody jump on here and tell me what you're doing in Kansas. We call um, and make a lactation appointment usually within 24 hours. Um, sometimes that's in the hospital if it's a weekend and they aren't able to be seen by our lactation office. And if they can't be seen by our lactation office, we pair it with their pediatric appointment so that they're not making two trips. Hey, Kayla, where are you from? Gary Community Hospital. It's a great facility, I heard. <laughs> awesome, Kayla. Also, the feedback loop Kayla's not mentioning is if a patient does not show up or uh, attend a visit that's been scheduled, that feedback loop happens, happens through our navigation, our navigators um, in the outpatient setting. Our nurses are phenomenal at the bedside to make sure that um, 
that loop also occurs and they'll call patients and make sure they're okay. All right, somebody else jump on, tell me what you're doing. Postpartum uh, discharge day, breastfeeding mom that needs some help. Hi, Tara, it's Chelsea from Hiawatha. So, you know, being a rural hospital, we serve multiple roles. So it's a lot more streamlined when our OB nurse is doing the discharge. They're also playing the role of the navigator and we also are the lactation help. So we just schedule them to come back the next day to see one of us. Uh, that would be the number one uh, enrolled facility in Kansas, Chelsea James, unit manager. Thank you, friend. Um, you know, isn't that the truth? And I think that one of the things that many of us like that's happening in the last few years is that many of our nurses at the bedside are um, multi-layered, multi-hatted. They can do all the things. And I think those in bigger facilities um, sometimes aren't able to do all the things that they want to do with the patient, um, but certainly are outfitted to do so. That's awesome that you guys see them back. How about a bigger facility? Is there a larger like tertiary care center, somebody that's on that would like to speak to this? Tara, we have one come in and chat here. Um, Stormont Vale, the breastfeeding, breastfeeding center follow-up visit is one to two days after discharge. Appointment is made before discharge. Ped visit is made for them prior to discharge for baby's first appointment. And they don't have a mic available, so they're using the chat. That's okay. I appreciate that, you guys, mm -hmm. very, very much. You know, the, the question becomes, what happens if the patient doesn't attend? Or what's the feedback loop? And who's responsible for making sure that she has transportation, knowledge, um, phone numbers and contacts, you know, who is the captain of that ship? And as we walk through this QI initiative, it'll be interesting to see what each birth facility figures out for who is the, the, the keeper of that feedback loop that we keep talking about, but that's awesome. Anybody else that wants to jump in with, with their, here's what we do next. Uh, Leanne, keep me honest here. I know we've got eight, eight minutes left. We're going to do at least one more case study here, guys, okay. just to reiterate. I want to bring back around on this case study number two. Uh, I work next to a military installation. And one of the things that we talk about in the first trimester conversation is um, when women deliver at a facility uh, away from home, or if they deliver away from support people, or if they deliver away from resources that would make their outcomes better. And again, those, uh, those moments are on my mind constantly when we talk about how we're going to improve outcomes. When we talk about the maternal mental health piece and KCC's uh, excellent presentation about their toolkit last month, I really want you all to, to delve deep into that toolkit because one of the things that becomes very obvious is that the most important moment is asking her what we need to do for her. And asking hard questions, oftentimes you'll, you'll hear hard answers. And then who is responsible and what resources do you have at that moment to refer her on? But this case study was on my mind um, because this is not the sexual person, of course, but this, this case is something that I recently took care of. Uh, third time mama um, delivered, uh, we'll say it term, and uh, had a history, a significant history of postpartum depression on her previous two uh, pregnancies. So in other words, uh, both of her two previous babies. And she's postpartum day number one and nervous as heck about going home. So I'm sure many of you have seen this, this case, perhaps in the outpatient setting, more in the inpatient setting, where women talk about how difficult postpartum depression was in the previous experience, and they're nervous to go home because they know what happens next. So uh, with two minutes or less here before we start closing up, anybody jump on and tell me what, what postpartum care team members would be involved in this young lady's care next. Dr. Morgan, 
you want to jump on there and tell me what happens at your facility? So the, I think it's quite variable. It's probably as variable as it is the number of provider patient teams that exist. But sometimes if you have somebody like this, the, the depression management perspective, whether it's psychiatrist or clinical psychologist, social worker, may be involved prior to delivery. I think that's optimal where you actually have that team in place prior to it. I, I implemented that once on a woman that had profound postpartum depression or first pregnancy, fairly significant. The second on the third one, we had everything set up. I delivered her on a Friday and Sunday morning, her husband called me. And so the psychiatrist is immediately available. I think that works probably the best in my own experience, but it, I think it's really disjointed. I think Hutchison talked about the elements of the team are there, but it's disjointed. That was a great way of wording it. Agreed. And um, I can hear as, even as you're describing that case, uh, the, the hard moment it is um, for us to be in a scenario, uh, perhaps as the primary OB provider, perhaps as the phone call as the support person, perhaps this is your best friend and not to know what to do to help her. Um, and what's available to her. So again, um, just because we identify a case and we say a postpartum care team makes it better, doesn't mean that it doesn't make that moment hard. And it doesn't mean that everybody's gonna look the same in terms of what that connection to the next person to help her is. The connections are extremely important. We're gonna say it over and over and over and over again. We do um, have one call. We have one comment on yeah. that too, Tara. Thanks, and this is, from, this is from Rebecca Dean. Um, a significant number of women seek out and benefit from community-based care providers. Douglas are one of those wonderful proven assets, or doulas, I'm sorry, are one of those wonderful proven assets to postpartum care and the prevention of postpartum depression. Creating an easy connection and referral system to this resort will benefit Kansas. Rebecca, I'm really glad that you're on. Um, you and I have uh, just briefly chatted really quickly about all the folks that are involved in a best case scenario. And, and doula care is certainly um, gonna talk about folks that wear many hats. <laughs> uh, a a well-trained doula, and there are so many in our state, are an extension, um, both of the patient and all the needs that she has, but also of all the folks that are involved in her care team and a member of the team for sure. Thank you, I appreciate that input. Um, I'm just, we're going to wrap it up because again, just like other weeks or other months, it feels like this isn't enough time, but I love to hear from you all. So thank you for your involvement. Um, I'm going to leave you with a question. What do you need? And, or excuse me, who do you need and who do you have? If your birth facility has these people, but you need connectivity, if you have some, but not everyone, who, what do we need to do next? And you're going to be asked that specific question over and over and over again, because the way we've always done it isn't working. And so each of you and each of us, anytime that we're interacting with a patient, our job next is to get her to the next place in line so that she gets better care. And again, there's no I in team. So take a look at that list, add to it, take away from it. Um, and, and begin to think about how we can improve outcomes at your facility by connections to these folks. I'm gonna close uh, with just some dates. Uh, I think that Leanne mentioned this briefly before, uh, that there'll be a hand, we have a handout for you with lots of important information, including the dates on it. But just a reminder, those there will be no specific learning forum in this, um, this way for April, May, and June because there are learning forums taking places um, in other directions, meaning we really want you all to continue to attend. They're just not this official, official learning forum platform. So ECHO series, specific for perinatal mood disorder, for those of you that wanna dig deeper into evaluation and treatment of perinatal mood disorder, the ECHO series is amazing. Um, also through KCC, um, focused in, um, uh, directional 
education there. Uh, Black Maternal Health uh, Week webinar is on the 15th. I want to see you all there. I cannot wait for that day um, and excited for everybody to attend. And then just a gentle reminder that the first trimester enrollment packet is due on the 16th. Um, I will stay after you because I want everybody involved. Our general meeting for the KPQC, which will involve uh, more education and wonderful interaction on May 11th. And then we're going to roll out some phenomenal speakers also at regional trainings coming up in June and July. So those will serve as our learning forums because everybody that's enrolled and involved will be encouraged to attend. I'll stop with that. Leanne, any last minute thing, details and any questions? My don't. I did drop the handout um, into the chat with all of these dates um, and links to registration. Um, but we will also follow it up. You'll get an email from KPQC with the handout. Um, as well as these slides and any other other information um, as well. So if you don't, if you can't download it from the chat, don't worry, we will also send it by email. So with that, I think we have everything. If again, feel free to reach out if you have any questions, need additional information. Um, we will provide the notes from today um, and everything you need. Um, so on behalf of Kansas um, Perinatal Quality, thank you for your time um, and all your interest and participation today. Thank you all.